Thank you for tuning in to the Bread of the Word podcast. Bread of the Word is an online ministry striving to feed people the life-sustaining bread of God's Word. Bread of the Word exists for the reclamation of the Bible in the heart, mind, and walk of all the saints of God, for it is the Bible itself which is the ultimate standard by which people are to live and honor God. Thank you for tuning in. This is Bread of the Word. Welcome back to the Bread of the Word podcast, Reclaiming the Bible and Exalting Christ, one verse at a time. My name is Tyler, and we are taking a break from our study in Romans for the four weeks of Advent. Um, we're going to be breaking off into a bit of a mini-series, um, and we're going to talk about Advent. We're going to talk about um, the Nativity and the Christmas story, but a little, little different than what some of you may have um, anticipated. And so specifically, we will be talking about the prophet, priest, and king that was present in the manger. And this week, for the first week of Advent, we are talking about the prophet aspect. And those of us who are, those of you who are established somewhat in um, systematic theology probably know what those, the significance of prophet, priest, and king. That we are talking about the threefold office of Christ and his fulfillment of the Old Testament. And you would be right, and we'll be talking about how those prophecies point us to the nativity, point us to Christmas. As we draw near to Christmas, it seems only natural to meditate on the things of Christ and the glorious gospel that was brought to us in a story, nothing short of a miracle. Christmas is a time of meditation upon the very Christ who came near to us in the form of a child in the manger. But he was more than a baby. His manifold office as our eternal prophet, priest, and king was present at his birth. Um, that the, the reigning king was in the manger. You can't separate out the manger from the cross or the, or the ascension. It's all... Together, we all have to take it in a, one big block, because it's Christ didn't change. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So these things were all present when he entered into the world in human form. The eternal, perfect prophet was born in a manger. And to dig into what this means that Christ was our prophet, um, turn with me to Isaiah chapter 61. Isaiah 61 is one of the many prophecies about the coming Messiah. Isaiah is a book containing many prophecies concerning the coming Christ. There were prophecies in other books, but the prophecies of Isaiah are very distinct. They're very vivid, there's a lot of them, and there's something different about these prophecies. Not that they're superior, they're just different. Um, Isaiah gave many prophetic messages regarding the coming Christ in very vivid detail to the point where Isaiah is sometimes referred to as the 
fifth gospel because it is so detailed that it's you it's actually hard to believe that isaiah was written 700 years beforehand because there's so much detail and all those details are very accurate so these prophecies gave us a glimpse they gave the jews a, a glimpse and they give us a glimpse of the glory of the coming redeemer and that as john piper writes in one of his advent books is what Jesus desires us to do at Christmas time, to catch glimpses of his glory and wonder. And he writes, Jesus' longing and goal is that we see his glory, and then that we be able to love what we see with the same love that the Father has for the Son. And he doesn't mean that we merely imitate the love of the Father for the Son. He means the Father's very love becomes our love for the Son, that we love the Son with the love of the Father for the Son. This is what the Spirit becomes and bestows in our lives, love for the Son by the Father through the Spirit. What Jesus wants most for Christmas is that his elect be gathered in and then get what they want most, to see his glory and then savor it with the very savoring of the Father for the Son. With that said, let us turn to Isaiah 61 and see what glorious truth is revealed to us about Christ. We'll be in verses 1 through 4. And it says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty, to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. They shall build up the ancient ruins, they shall, rise, they shall raise up the former devastations, they shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. So starting in verse 1, the promised Messiah would be a preacher, a proclaimer of spiritual things. I've heard it said um, that God only had one son, and he made him a preacher. It's kind of kind of a funny little jab there, but the fact of the matter is, this prophecy about the Messiah starts off with, he has anointed me to bring good news. That promised Messiah would be a proclaimer, a preacher, but not in the same way that Isaiah was a prophet. The prophets spoke by the Holy Spirit, yes, but Christ is God. He is his own credential. He is more than qualified to speak. He is the greatest prophet. And the other prophets spoke in the Holy Spirit, but ultimately they were pointing to the coming Christ. But Christ is the essence of everything that they preached and the one by whom they preached. That it was by God that they spoke those words, and it was to God that those words pointed. But Christ is God. So he doesn't point us to God, he points us to himself. He is his own credential as prophet. He is more than qualified. And what does he speak? It says good news. 
That's what, where we get the word gospel, is good news. Christ came and proclaimed the way to salvation. This is the best possible news. The news is that there is a redeemer. The audience was poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to bring good news to the poor, to proclaim liberty to the captives. The audience was the poor, both physically and spiritually. While some of us are financially bankrupt, we are all spiritually bankrupt. It's not just about money. As we read in Genesis 3, going back to the Garden of Eden, when God made man and woman in his image and set them in the garden and it was a perfect relationship with him it was a perfect environment but they disregarded that one rule god gave them and they tried to be their own determinants tried to determine their own destiny and their own compass of things and so god has to deal with sin now and to adam he said because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you, sh you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, until you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. From dust to dust. We are temporary. We are not significant. We're, we're the dust. God made us from the dust of the earth. And because of the sin, if left to our own devices, to the dust we will return. I've, there's a poet that once wrote, I am the captain of my soul. I am the master of my fate. And that is a concept that we like to grab hold of. This idea that, yes, I'm in control. I'm number one. I am the boss. We, we cling to this idea that I don't need anyone but myself. And to an extent, I guess I would, I suppose I would say that I agree. I am the captain of my soul. The problem is that my soul is the Titanic. If left to my own devices, I will put it underwater. That ship is not getting to its destination. Because much like Gollum... In Lord of the Rings, my own depravity will bring about his own terrible end. I am storing up wrath for the coming day of judgment. And because I am captain, captaining the Titanic, I need good news. I need the gospel. And so do you. We need this good news that Jesus has preached and he has pointed us to. And it is good news because despite our impermanence, Freedom, liberty, it says, is presented to us through Christ, and we can be freed from sin and be set free to righteousness. Romans 6 says, For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time for the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. 
We are condemned in our sin. We are slaves to sin. We are dead in sin. But Christ offers freedom from that. He offers a fresh start. He offers, as it says in verse 2, the year of the Lord's favor. This is a nod to a passage in the book of Leviticus, chapter 25, when the Jews would celebrate their deliverance in the 50th year. Every 50 years, they would celebrate God bringing them out of Egypt and setting them free as his covenant people and establishing them as a nation, independent of Egyptian oppression. This message of Christ brings liberty as the celebration of of Leviticus 25. They called it the year of Jubilee. And they would celebrate liberty. Christ has proclaimed liberty that is available to those of us who are held captive by sin. However, it also announces the day of vengeance of our God. The day of vengeance of our God. It also announces the vengeance of God. The message of the prophets said much of the coming Messiah, but also of what they called the day of the Lord. This was largely in reference to a coming judgment upon the people. The Messiah's message was both of these, of judgment and freedom. The Messiah's message was both of these, judgment and freedom. It says in the Westminster Catechism, what does every sin deserve at the hands of God? Every sin, even in the least, being against the sovereignty, goodness, and holiness of God, and against his righteous law, deserves his wrath and curse, both in this life and that which is to come, and, I c and cannot be ex expiated, that is, escaped, but by the blood of Christ. What does God require of us that we may escape his wrath? Catechism answers that question as well. We may escape the wrath and curse of God due by, to us by reason of the transgression of the law. We can escape this wrath that is that we are storing up for ourselves in our sin. In that he requires of us re repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. And the diligent use of the outward means whereby Christ communicates to us the benefits of his meditation. That we have to make a U-turn here. We've got to get... We're on the path to destruction. But Christ is proclaim, has proclaimed to us that there's a way of salvation, but it requires a U-turn. That we have to get off this path we are on. And we have to set our, set our path on the things of Christ. We have to get right with God and get off the path we're on. Because... As it says in Malachi, who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. Think about purifying metal, like silver, is it's hot. It takes fire, it burns. And he will purify the sons of Levi. That is, the, the priesthood, the spiritual leaders, and he will refine them like gold and silver, and they will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. That the coming Messiah was going to refine his people so that they could make acceptable offerings in righteousness, because no one is righteous, not even one.
and he is going to purify his people so they can properly commune with him. And that is what he is doing through salvation. But there's a coming judgment as well. And so we have to keep those both in mind that there is salvation in this message, but there's also judgment. Every single one of us is under judgment. And because we're under judgment, we need the gift of salvation. Both of these themes were present in the New Testament. The gospel is good news upon first hearing the bad news. Christ preached the way to salvation, which is the cross of Christ. As St. Augustine once wrote, no one can cross the sea of this world unless he is carried on the cross of Christ. And ultimately, this message of the cross gives us hope and comfort if we will repent and turn of our sin from our sins. Come a comfort to those who mourn, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garments of praise instead of a faint spirit. The juxtaposition of God's wrath and of his favor is hard to wrap our minds around. For some, it may be easier not to attempt at all. Nonetheless, God did speak these words. In order for God to be merciful, he has to have something to show his mercy from. And for him to be just, there has to be an example of what is not justice. There has to be a normative and an anti-normative, a sense of normal and of abnormal. God is just and merciful at the same time, and in the same way that he is holy and love at the same time. God is defined by many attributes, of none of which are in opposition. This is one of the glorious things about God. He doesn't change hats. He wears one hat that covers all things simultaneously. And it says in John that as many as received Christ, he gave the right to be... He gave them the right to become children of God. You see, Christ doesn't turn us away because we're not holy enough. He's holy, and there's no way we can work around that. But those of us who come unto Christ will be saved. There is no, there's no if there. That if you... Call on, on the name of the Lord, you will be saved. If you repent of your sins, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Dr. Stephen Lawson once wrote, In the face of the radical depravity of the human race, sovereign grace is seen to be both glorious and necessary. Given the inability of the fallen will to choose God, God himself must initiate salvation, or no one would be saved. According to his infinite mercy and grace, God has done just that in his act of sovereign election. Before the creation of the world, he chose a remnant from within Israel, as well as from the Gentile nations, to be saved and become his people. This choice is a saving choice. It causes the sinner, within time, to know God and believe upon him. Thus, man's salvation originates in the sovereign will of God. God's election initiates, causes, and guarantees the certain salvation of a remnant. So you see, if we can come unto salvation, it is all of Christ. Now we are on that road to destruction and death and judgment. But Christ has gotten in the way. He has inter interposed. 
he has gotten in the, into the thick of it so that we can come off of that path. He has thrown himself into the middle of the road and said, this is not the way. I am the way. Let's go this way. Jesus himself said, at, the, at that time, he declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. The way to salvation ultimately was not entrusted to the intellectuals, to the philosophers, to the theologians. It was given to himself. God holds the knowledge of salvation, and he bestows it upon all who would believe. That he calls us out of darkness into marvelous light that we wouldn't have known was there. We weren't waiting for the Messiah to come. Contrary to what the paintings may have you believe, when Israel was promised a Messiah, they weren't sitting around waiting. They went on acting as though God didn't exist. They worshipped idols. They desecrated the temple. They dishonored God with their lifestyles. They weren't waiting for God. They weren't looking for the Messiah. And it's probably one of the reasons that when the Messiah did come, it took them all by such surprise. For such was his gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. So, we can't know God except that Son makes him known to us. Now, that does not negate our responsibility to come to Christ, because he goes on to say, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Despite our inability to understand God, he implores us to come. We are separated from God in our sins, but yet God has come near that we can know him. As it says in Luke 2, we often read this at Christmas time, but when the angels appeared to the shepherds, they said, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. This gift of salvation, this gift of a king, of a perfect prophet, that came as a baby in the manger, was not because we were deserving of any relationship with said prophet, but that God showed his mercy by saving us who come unto him. We have no argument, no defense to justify our sins. Yet, we come to the Lord, who preached a way for us to do so, not by our righteousness, but by receiving his perfect righteousness. We are counted as righteous in God according to the righteousness of Christ. This is an exchange for faith. When we come into when we come unto Christ in faith and repentance, we are saved and counted as righteous. God himself came to teach us this much, to point us to that way, to salvation, the way that none of us were looking for. Thank you for tuning into this episode of the Bread of the Word podcast. I pray that it has been beneficial to your walk with God and that he has called you into a deeper relationship and fellowship with himself. 
If you want to hear more from Bread of the Word, feel free to hit that subscribe button down at the bottom. Get notified about new content whenever we go live. Um, you can also watch us on Rumble Video and YouTube, or you can listen on your favorite podcast platforms. Um, you can also find us on social media if you want to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Gab. Links will be provided in the bio um, if you would like to check those out. And there will also be a message in the comment section, um, a free gospel message for download entitled The Two J's, The Joy of the Potter and the Journey of the Clay. That is something that I've written, that is something God laid on me to write and then send out. And so I'm not making anything off of it. I'm not selling it. It is free for you to read and share. We need a further saturation of the gospel in our world, in our culture. And it starts right here. Bread of the Word Ministries exists for the reclamation of the Bible and the exaltation of Christ through the reading and teaching of his holy transformative word. I hope you guys have a great rest of your day. God bless. Matthew 4.4 4.